Spiritually speaking, all of us need a complete makeover. Pastor Trent Griffith explains. Jesus is the groom, you are the bride. Now I know that every bride is beautiful, but you, not so much. When it comes to Jesus being attracted to you, nothing in you that would attract Jesus to you. And yet, loved, chosen, cherished, treasured, love, covenant relationship, engaged in, exchanging of vows, even a symbol, not a ring on our finger, but something called baptism that identifies us forever belonging to Jesus. That is an occasion, not for fasting, but for feasting. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Well, have you ever known someone who is holier than thou? Someone who seems to have their act together or at least wants everyone to think they have their act together. In Jesus's day, there was a group of people who were that way. We're going to learn about the self-righteousness of the Pharisees and we'll examine ourselves to look for similar characteristics in us. We're continuing in the series from the Gospel of Luke called All Things New. Here's Pastor Trent. Let's get our Bibles open to Luke chapter five as we march verse by verse through this story. And uh, every time we open it, we are encountering a different narrative of the life, the unfolding life of Jesus that happens on every page of the Bible, but specifically when we get to the gospels, you know, every good story needs a good villain, right? When you read a novel or you go to a movie, there's always this antagonist that is the counter to the protagonist. What are some of the villains you think of about some of the movies that you've watched? I think the most famous villain in all of movie history is Darth Vader, right? And of course, you know, later in the story, you find out, you know, there's reason to be sympathetic toward the villain. I'm sorry, that was a spoiler alert um, for those of you that never seen Star Wars. Like Micah Clutenati has never seen Star Wars. How can you be a worship pastor and never seen? That's an, I don't know. Anyway, uh, some other villains. I mean, who are some other villains you think of? You know how I think, I think of um, Mr. Potter. You know who Mr. Potter is? What, what's the movie Mr. Potter shows up in? It's a Wonderful Life. Remember that guy? Oh man, that guy's a creepy guy. And of course you got Batman. He had a lot of those villains. You had the Joker. And then of course, I, I know the one that you were thinking of immediately. The most famous villain of all is Wiley Coyote with the Roadrunner, right? I mean, he was like notorious trying to blow stuff up and capture this guy. He put Acme out of business. Anyway, there's a lot of villains. Now today, we're gonna get introduced to the villain in Luke's story. And you know what we do? We villainize this villain so much that we fail to see ourselves in this particular villain. The villain that we're talking about is this group of guys called the Pharisees. Now, I told you last week that as we get to this section in the Gospel of Luke, we're gonna see five different stories just in succession where the the villains show up. And so Luke is obviously trying to tell us something about these Pharisees, but he's also trying to help us to see ourselves in the Pharisees. Let me just show you. Let's just jump into it here. Luke chapter 5, let's begin reading in verse 27. After this, 
he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. So we're introduced, first of all, to this guy named Levi. Now, just a little hint in the story over, there's a book in our Bible called the Gospel of Matthew. Guess who wrote the Gospel of Matthew? Levi. There's another name for Matthew, okay? So he's known by these two different names, and he tells us what his occupation is. Now, Levi's occupation was a tax collector, okay? He was the guy that sat at the toll booth, like on the toll road, and he collected the taxes. And the tax collectors were considered the lowest of the low people. Um, What they were, they were in collusion with the Russian, I mean, the Roman government... (laughs) They were in collusion with the Roman government to collect the taxes. So the Romans were occupying the Jewish people and they needed to collect taxes from the Jewish people. So they employed a Jew to collect the taxes from the Jewish people. And whatever he could extort out of them over what they were required to pay, he could keep. So this guy was a bully. And, and he was considered a traitor and, and he was on the wrong side of the political party at the time. And so It must have been a shock to Levi when Jesus looked him in the eye and said, you, follow me. Now, don't try that the next time you're on the tow road and you get to the tow booth. It's not gonna gonna do anything good for you. But he calls Levi, the lowest of the low, the most unqualified, the person that everybody else despised. I'll take you. You follow me. When he did that, he was the happiest person on the planet. That's exactly what he did. He left everything. He left his taxes. He left his occupation. He left his income. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we saw another guy that Jesus said, follow me. That was Simon Peter. And Simon left everything. But you know, there was a sense in which Simon could have gone back to fishing. As a matter of fact, later in the story, he actually did. But when Levi left everything, he could never go back to being a tax collector. The Romans would have never employed him again because he had already quit his job the first time. So Jesus calls him and he immediately throws a party because he's so happy that Jesus has called him. Look at verse 29. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, like some of you are going to enjoy after this service. The roast is in the oven, and you're going to go have this feast. Now, Levi must have had a big house because he invited a bunch of friends. So you got a bunch of friends and a bunch of food and a bunch of happiness. He says, there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. Now, again, These were the lowest of the low. They'd been forsaken by everybody else, so tax collectors hung out with tax collectors. And guess who was the guest of honor? Jesus. Jesus felt right at home in the middle of the worst of the worst. And guess who else shows up? Next verse, verse 30. And the Pharisees. And their scribes grumbled at the disciples, saying, 
Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now, it's interesting. Every time you see the tax collectors and it puts them in the category, you would think you would just need to say, why do you eat with sinners? But it was like there were sinners and then there was like another category of sinners, tax collectors. How many of you still believe tax collectors are sinners? <laughs> right? I mean, these guys were, nobody wanted to hang out with them. And these Pharisees grumbled and that's what Pharisees do. And Jesus answered them and said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick and tax collectors are sick people. Thought I'd get an amen out of somebody on that. <laughs> tax collectors are sick people and they know they're sick, but apparently Pharisees don't. And it says in verse 32, why Jesus came. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Pharisee has become synonymous with self-righteous, hypocritical, legalistic, judgmental, religious people. Now, if we were to do a survey of non-church-going people in our community, people that slept in this morning, having a nice slow brunch this morning, people taking it easy like it's Sunday morning, I never understood that at all because um, it's not easy on Sunday morning around here. For me, we're working. Now, if we took a survey of those people and we asked them, hey, those, those people that go to church, those people that are in church right now, these you and you and you and all these different people, if you had to identify those church-going people with one of these two, which one would you pick? Would you more identify these people with Jesus or with Pharisees? What would be the overwhelming response? Pharisees. The people out there think the people in here are more like Pharisees than Jesus. That's a problem. You see, every one of us is born thinking like a Pharisee. How does a Pharisee think? He, he thinks that he's better than other people. He thinks that he doesn't need grace. He thinks that he can earn his way to heaven by his good behavior. He thinks that everybody else is a sinner and he is the one to let everybody know they're a sinner. That's a problem. Now, here's how tricky it is in church, okay? The longer you've come to church, the more Bible information you have stuffed into your brain and the better that you have behaved, the more likely you are to become a modern-day Pharisee. You know, a few years ago, about six years ago, we kind of marched verse by verse through the Gospel of Matthew. How many of you remember doing that? Do you remember going through the Gospel of Matthew? Anybody here during that time? There was, and it only took me 74 sermons to get through the Gospel of Matthew, okay? And you're wondering, how long are we going to take to get through Luke? Because it's longer. Yeah, just keep coming. We're, we're going to be fine. But I remember during that time, you know, the Pharisees show up in Matthew too, and I taught you to do something. Every time we encountered the Pharisees in the story, do you remember? Everybody make the sound I taught you to make when we encountered the Pharisees on the count of three. Three, two, one. 
Oh, I taught you to boo the Pharisees. Yeah, that was a bad plan. Um, you know why? Here's how subtle the temptation is to become a Pharisee. We read the Scripture and we look down on people and we boo them. Boo, boo, Donnie, you're a Pharisee and we don't like Pharisees. Boo. And what's the problem with that? I'm acting like a Pharisee for crying out loud. Do you see how subtle this is? And so we're not going to boo the Pharisees when we walk through the gospel of Luke. The only Pharisee that is going to get booed is the Pharisee that lives inside of me. Because inside every heart in this room, there is a little Pharisee thinking, I'm righteous. I'm not a sinner. I don't need a physician. But I sure know a lot of people who do. That's the problem with Pharisees, is we think everybody else is sick and we're well. And Jesus said, yeah, you're not the people I hang out with. Jesus was much more comfortable hanging out with the sinners and the tax collectors than he ever was the well-behaved, buttoned-up, rule-keeping Pharisees. And I don't want that to be true of our church I want Jesus to find a group of people in here who's like, I'm a sinner, I'm sick. Jesus, come over, we, we need you here now. We, we need what you've got to offer us. We're sick, you've diagnosed us, give us a prescription and we need it every day. That's the attitude that we're going after. So we're just gonna do a little four question test as we walk through the message today to find out if you might be a Pharisee. You might be a Pharisee if you have trouble diagnosing your own sin sickness. That's what we learn here from this passage. If you're, if, if you're an older sibling and you've got younger siblings, do you know that you're the one that has a tendency to be a Pharisee? To, you, you think you've got your act together and you, it's your job to point out everybody else's sin? If you're the husband in the relationship, you, you know that just because of your leadership position that God has given you, you're the one that has a tendency to become the Pharisee in the relationship and to think that it's your spouse that needs to change and you got your act together. Um, if you've got some type of leadership position, if you're a small group leader, you're a company owner, you're a manager, you're the one that has the tendency to see everybody else's sin sickness and think, I'm good. That's the problem with Pharisees. It's this self-exalted position that we think we deserve that deceives us into thinking everybody else needs Jesus and we're good. And so we don't want to be like that. We need to daily embrace the grace of Jesus that confronts our sin. And so Jesus has compassion on these Pharisees. He wants them at the table. He wants them to be healed. But until a Pharisee sees his sin sickness, Jesus is not going to do anything for him. He came not for the self-righteous, but he came for sinners. Now, I want you to notice in this story, as he calls Levi, Jesus doesn't overlook his sin. 
Jesus calls Levi a sinner. If somebody's ever looked at you and says, you're a sinner, that doesn't mean they're a Pharisee. That means they're acting like Jesus. And so don't mistake what Jesus's role is in your life. Jesus doesn't excuse their sin. He calls them to repentance. This is what Jesus did so well. He accepted persons and then challenged the sinner that lives inside the person. And so we don't just say, hey, just come as you are. You don't have to do anything. There's no change. You know, don't worry about your behavior. That's not what Jesus did. He's like, no, you, you got a fundamental problem. Your sin is making you terminally sick. And the only cure is repentance. And so, yes, you call a sinner to repentance, but you never do it from a self-righteous, religious, rule-keeping attitude. You call it from a position of grace where Jesus has come as the great physician to call people to repentance. Here's the second sign. You might be a Pharisee. You might be a Pharisee if you feel more spiritual fasting than feasting. The story continues in verse 33. And they said to him, the disciples of John, that's John the Baptist, remember him? He had a following. He's the cousin of Jesus. The disciples of John fast. They abstain from food. They have these long seasons where they don't consume food, and it creates a physical hunger in them, and that physical hunger is a reminder of the spiritual hunger that we all have of God. And so, boy, fasting seems super spiritual, which it is. But notice these Pharisees are so focused on the fasting, they've got no category for feasting. They, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do, do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours, your disciples, like this Levi character and Peter, Simon, John, James, these guys, they eat and they drink and they seem to enjoy it. You can't do that. You can't enjoy eating. I mean, I, we have to eat, but you, you, it should just be like, gluten-free and you, like, you can't enjoy anything. I'm, I'm sorry, some of you are gluten-free and you enjoy it. I, bless you. But the, eating and, and drinking is a, is a grace. It's a common grace that God gives to all. It should be enjoyed like a Krispy Kreme donut. And it says in verse 34, Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? You know, our oldest daughter, Brooke, she got married in, in yeah. June. And we seriously considered, after I now pronounce you husband and wife, just announcing that the reception would be one of prayer and fasting. <laughs> we're just all going to show up and we're going to have a fresh encounter prayer meeting. We're all going to get on our knees and confess our sin and just, you know, be, have this incredible encounter with the holiness of God. And, and we're just, you know, don't expect to eat anything because we are, we are fasting. How many people would have shown up for that? Nobody. Why? Because a wedding is not the right occasion for fasting. A wedding is the occasion for feasting. 
How many of you have gone to a wedding in the last year? And it was the funnest thing you've done all year long. I remember a few years ago, um, you know, we served in life action. So we had all these, these young lovers that got married over and over. And we got to perform a wedding every now and then. And I got, I got to perform this wedding of this, this great young couple. And we went to their, their wedding and, you know, we, we were kind of conservative and, and, you know, we showed up at the reception and I mean, there's disco balls and donuts and all oh, you can eat pizza. And then the music started and, 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 and I'm, I looked, looked around and I'm like, I wonder if I got out there on the dance floor, if anybody would judge me and they didn't. And we danced. And I just remember that being one of the most fun times at Dave and Lori's wedding that we have ever had. I think there's still video out there on, on the internet somewhere of Andrea and I just, and we've, this is like the, the best time. And I, now some of you are sitting there, I said dancing and you're like, I, I don't, I don't think Christians can dance. I don't think some Christians can dance either. There are Christians who can dance, and there are some who cannot, okay? And you should not even attempt. But there is an occasion for celebration. And if there was ever an occasion for celebration, this was it. Jesus has taken an outcast who was far from God, despised by everyone, whose occupation took him away from the people of God. And Jesus has brought him near. He has called him to repentance. He has left everything in the joy of knowing Jesus. And Jesus says, fellas, think with me. This is like a wedding. I am the groom. And I have fallen madly in love with a person who had turned their back on me. I have overcome their resistance. I have won their heart. This person brings me such joy. I want to be with this person. Do you see in the story? Jesus is the groom. You are the bride. Now, I know that every bride is beautiful, but you, not so much. When it comes to Jesus being attracted to you, nothing in you that would attract Jesus to you, ugly to God, and yet loved, chosen, cherished, treasured, promised, love covenant relationship engaged in, exchanging of vows, even a symbol, not a ring on our finger, but something called baptism that identifies us forever belonging to Jesus. That is an occasion, not for fasting, but for feasting. And these Pharisees had no category for it because they'd never understood that they were unconditionally loved by God. And they're Relationship with God is not based on how attractive they could make themselves to Jesus, but because of Jesus' unconditional love for them. They couldn't get it. They didn't have a category for that. So they just kind of felt like the best that they could do is just kind of, hey, God, look how serious we are. We don't eat food. And even when we do, we don't enjoy it. 
Do we get brownie points for that? And that's the way that some people go through their Christian life. Hey, we come to church, but we don't enjoy it. We read our Bible, we don't enjoy it. We give our money, but we don't enjoy that. We thought about giving our tax return. By the way, have you thought about giving your tax return? <laughs> don't give it unless you would enjoy it. And don't give it if somehow you think that that's gonna get you brownie points in heaven, but give it out of a celebration of feasting to know that you have been brought into a, love and a covenant love relationship with Jesus. That's what Matthew did and he left everything. Have you left anything? It was a time for feasting. Pharisees feel a lot more spiritual fasting than they do feasting. Now, by the way, don't discount fasting. If you feel like you've lost your hunger for God, there's no better way to restore your hunger from God than to remind yourself of your physical hunger because you have abstained from food. But when that relationship is restored and you sense the presence of God, that is a time to feast, not a time to fast. Here's the third thing. Pharisees confuse resting with working. Look here, going into verse 36. Actually, verse 35, let's read that. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Yeah, there was going to be a time when Jesus was taken away, taken away to the cross, and then ascended to heaven. And so here we are for 2,000 years waiting for Jesus' soon return. And there are times when we fast, we so long to be with Jesus. We're so hungry for Jesus' presence that we, we fast. But when he returns again, it'll be a time of feasting. And then verse 36, he told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skin will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And again, we've mentioned this to you, but Jesus was making the analogies. These Pharisees were like these old, crusty, inflexible wineskins. And trying to put the new wine of Jesus into an old wineskins means it will burst. They just have no category for that. Maybe the traditions of your religious experience were just a bunch of crusty old wineskins. Do you have any category to think about Jesus in a way that is a daily, enjoyable drinking in of his presence? That's what he did for Levi. That's what he wants to do for you as well. Well, I know I need to hear those reminders today. Pastor Trent has been showing us some ways that we might be like the Pharisees. I hope you'll join us next week as we finish the message right here on Resonate. You know, the best cure for those Pharisee-like tendencies is to remember the beauty of the gospel. It's true that you fall short. It's true that you can't be pleasing to God on your own. But hallelujah, it's also true that Jesus did all the earning for you. You should be remembering that when you spend time reading the Bible and praying, and you should be reminding yourself of the gospel every time that you attend church. If you're looking for a gospel-centered, Bible-preaching church in the Michiana area, one of them is Gospel City Church. We meet in both Elkhart County and St. Joseph County, Indiana. 
To find out more about Gospel City, just go to our website, mygospelcity.org. You can click or tap where it says, I'm new here. There's information about service times and where we meet. Again, the web address is mygospelcity.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook for more great content when you search for Gospel City Church. Next week, Pastor Trent concludes this powerful message. I hope you'll be able to listen then. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and it's my prayer that God's Word would resonate in your heart this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.